WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the podcast where two best friends talk comics with the people who make them. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Lazowitz. And this week's guest is the artist behind comics like the Manhattan Projects and uh, the X-Men story where Cannonball and Sunspot go to Mojo World and is about to launch his campaign for Axe Wielder John on Zoop, Nick Batara. Welcome, Nick. Hey, I really appreciate you guys having me on. Uh, it means a lot uh, stuff. Uh, you know, self-promoting all the time. So uh, you guys uh, hooking up with Zoop and allowing me to come on and chat about Exploder John means a lot. Uh, thank you, guys. No problem. Our pleasure. Uh, so uh, well, let's get the first time guest question. Uh, what are what are some of the first comics that you remember reading? I think the first one I read that stuck stuck out to me was, uh, I think it was by um, John Arcudi. It was the Wolverine with the Antimanium cover. It was like yellow with... Uh, all Antimantium. I remember reading that as a kid, like as a collector kid, you know, but not really reading it. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that really stuck out to me that really changed the course of my life in terms of becoming an illustrator was uh, issue 14 of The Authority. And that was like in 99, 2000-ish. And mm-hmm. um, I was 17 at the time. And that was so, that was by Mark Miller and uh, Frank Quietly. And that was just so over the top and violent and i had never read a comic book like that before and it just kind of blew my mind and i was like you know, su- you know superheroes can be gay and superheroes can kill each other and uh and i love frank quietly's art and the, the story by mark was just perfect for a 17 year old at the time you know uh, it's not the highest end uh, after reading a you know a much uh, well-versed reader now but at the time for me it was it just hit the sweet spot so that was the one that really made me pick up a pencil and start drawing at 17 uh, there was always a few here and there that would come through the house, but none where I was like uh, reading them, like actually reading them sequentially. I would just look at the pictures and whatnot. I think I'm, I, I collected baseball cards and mm-hmm. in the baseball card, card store, it was at the time, you know, Image was big and the death of Superman was big. So I would buy those books, but I wouldn't mm-hmm. really, I wasn't like a monthly reader or anything like that. Uh, so we are, we're recording this on Monday. April 25th, uh, the campaign launches tomorrow for Axe Wielder, John. Uh, how, how are you feeling on Launchmas Eve? You know, are you, are you like a bundle of nerves or, you know, you're ready for it to be, to be out there? <laughs> Man, it's been a lot of work and a lot of buildup. Uh, I funded this thing out of pocket myself. It's probably, I probably put like $20,000 into it. Plus I didn't take a page rate uh, while I was illustrating this thing. So um for a year and a half, I've just been funding it myself, selling some of my art collection off. And uh, I wanted to make this book my way and I didn't want to pitch it to anyone. And, uh, you know, wanted to be my own boss for the first time. And uh, the way the story came to me, it was a, kind of a special thing where my daughter was sick in the hospital. Uh, we were in the NICU and she was healing up. And I had this, uh, you know, this barbarian character, you know, hit my imagination. I started drawing him and the way he came to me when I needed a hero at the time just meant a lot. And so I was like, when I get, when my daughter gets healed up and she's fine now, she's good. Uh, when, when, when we get back to normal, I'm going to write this thing and draw it no matter what. So with Axe Wilder, I didn't pitch it or anything Been working on it for a year and a half. Did I've only got 14 pages left to draw of the hundred and something page story. And uh, so I got a lot of things riding on it, a lot of nerves, but also I feel like I've done everything I can to make sure uh, it's going to be successful with Zoop, the, the crowdfunding company I'm going with, they're new to the market, but 
what they do specifically is line up the printing and distribution. So it's something I don't have to worry about and something mm -hmm. fans can be assured that's already lined up. So uh, that's why I'm using their services. And I'm excited about being with them. So I feel like I've done everything I can. So in a sense, there's calm, but also a lot of anticipation and excitement for uh, what the potential of the crowdfunding campaign can be. So my wife is a lot more nervous than me, you know, <laughs> not making any money for a year and a half. So uh, you're, you're being preceded uh, on Zoop by, uh, you know, the, the last big campaign they launched was that Comics for Ukraine benefit, which, you know, if you look at the creator list, it's, it, it's like that scene in, in Endgame where they're all coming through the circles, right? Uh, yeah. <laughs> is, is that, not that there's a competition among projects, but is there a party that's like, well, that's, that's, a, that's a little bit of a tough act to follow? I mean, I, I love that campaign. Uh, it's a good cause. But uh, also, uh, Zoop, I think high quality projects like that, the more that come to the to the platform, the more customer awareness they are and the more trust that they become. So mm -hmm. I'm actually excited for the the readers uh, to buy their first Zoop book. And if it's the Ukraine book, I'm very happy. Um, I'm not too stressed. I'm pretty proud of the book I've made. And like, you know, they got a Bilson Kevich cover. Well, I don't have a Bilson Kevich cover, but I got a Bilson Kevich pull quote. You know, I got pull quotes from Frank Quietly, Bilson Kevich, uh, just like the Jeff Darrow, like the who's who of, or some of my favorite, you know, comic book creators. So uh, I, I'm not I'm not too stressed about it. Uh, I I don't look at comics as a limited pie. I just think mm -hmm. uh, we need to grow. You know, we, we all need to grow more. I think with crowdfunding in particular, you I love I love first off. Uh, I love my local shop and I love stores. So with the Zoop campaign, we're giving 50% off and free signatures and uh, free remarks for all retailers. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but I do think that the limitations of uh, the store circuit is that, you know, you sometimes you got cash strapped store owners that can only buy so much. And then how many people are actually walking into the stores? You never know. So like offering it to the whole world uh, around the world with distribution lined up, I think is could be a solution to getting more people into reading comics that won't necessarily go to a strip mall to buy a book. So uh, I don't look at it as a shrinking pie at all. I just look at it, the industry with a lot of potential to grow. So I don't think they're taking anything from me. If they are, that's good. There's a lot of good creators on that book, but, uh, but no, I think Axwater John's its own thing. And I'm, I'm happy for the more, uh, the brand awareness with Zoop and uh, hopefully the same people that are going there to check that out. will check out Axwater. I think it's a, a pretty top notch book. You, you mentioned the, the shop you go to, you want to shout them out, get, spread their, their name out here. Oh, oh yeah, I got some of the biggest ones. So I, I lived in Austin for a while and uh, you know, Austin books and comics is, you know, a gym. And then uh, the real big one, I lived in Houston for a long time. And that one in Houston is uh, bedrock city. And so Bedrock City has some massive, maybe massive orders. And I've done most of my signings at those two, me and my wife a year ago. You know, we have two babies now and I've been working on the book for a year plus COVID. We moved to um, south of Austin uh, in a little town called Boverde, about an hour south. And we bought a home out here. So there's like Gotham City Newsstand and Bazinga Comics. But I'm not really a ruler like I, I should be, like I, like I used to be, you know, uh, just for the last year or so. So. Uh, I haven't, you know, I like both of those shops. They're the closer ones to me. Um, but yeah, uh, I love, I mean, I used to be a weekly warrior the last year. It's, it's kind of cut back, but so yeah, I love, I love my local yeah. shops. Man. Yeah. I was in Austin over the summer. My brother lives there and he was getting married and I, I, I slipped away from the prep and went to Austin books and comics for, you know, just a little bit. Cause I am me and couldn't resist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a great shop, right? Yeah. yeah I, 
the, the, I was chatting with the guy and he's like, you know, you're going to be here. It was right before when free comic book day. He's like, you want to be here? You're going to be here. I was like, oh, I'm gonna be he's like, oh, we got this. Like, oh man, I want to be here for this free comic book day. <laughs> yeah. They have like a sidekick store too, that has a bunch of cool stuff. And, uh, They've always hosted me for signings, uh, real, real, and they, you know, they, they order big, you know, I've worked a, a lot at image and we can see, I get to see some of the transparency on the orders and they're one of the top, uh, you know, heavy orders in the country. So, uh, uh, and, and they got it such a great selection. They got a great indie. I love indie books, you know, uh, great indie, uh, selection, but also all the good pop culture, generic stuff too. Uh, yeah, it's a big store. It's a really cool store. I, I, it's, it probably is the, my, my art rep Felix comic art. He um he came and stayed with me and he thought and he's been all over the country and all over the world. He thought it was one of the best shops he'd ever been into. So, you know, I, we're, we're talking about Zoop a bit before and 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 certainly the the fulfillment aspect of their service, I know, has been attractive. And the kind of caliber of campaign that we've seen them pull in in just a few short months, like, you know, we had we had Jordan Plosky on the show late last year and since then we're seeing stuff like axe wielder john we're seeing comics for ukraine you know we're seeing them doing the fulfillment for for hickman's uh three worlds three moons and you know especially once kickstarter started doing that weird like flirting with blockchain thing it just it feels like the the stars are sort of aligned for them and uh you know it so far it's cool to see I don't know a lot about blockchain, so I don't I don't really want to comment on that too much, but they definitely got a lot of sway that way. Um, I, I do think once you get them on the phone and you talk to them, they do a bunch of specific things like um, going over the contract with Axe Wilder. I can since I'm a new creator, I'm new to this. They're relatively new to the space and they want uh, some name creators. Uh, I would urge people to reach out to them if they're thinking about doing a crowdfunding campaign. Because Zoop can specifically tailor make their tiers, their platform, what they, what you can negotiate with them uh, specifically, your individual needs as a creator is uh, by far the best you're going to get. Because you can't just go directly to Kickstarter and say, "Hey, I have this part, or I like this, or I have this specific idea." An example for me is like uh, Felix Comic Art is my longtime art rep, but I didn't want to host the pages on uh, Zoop specifically, but but they're going to make a tier for me where. Uh, Felix can report his sales of my original art to them to get that rolled into the crowdfunding campaign to make sure the book gets funded. And I couldn't just do that with Kickstarter. You know, I couldn't just say, hey, do this and work with the third party. But they're, they're so willing to work with you and make it as comfortable as possible to take this uh, step into to being your own, essentially your own publisher, you know, which is what, what you become because you have to brand yourself, you have to promote yourself, but they do so many of those steps for dealing with the printer, dealing with the distribution, dealing with the customer service, dealing with third-party vendors. It just really frees you up to create. So when I got on the phone with them and talked to them, Eric Moss and Jordan Plosky, they were just really sweet and they definitely knew a lot more than me. And I knew I would need help in, in that area if I was going to make this a real book. So so yeah, it, uh, talk after talking with them, I felt better and better. Uh, you know, I've done work with Hickman specifically o- over the years, and you know, I called him and I said, "Hey, you think I'm crazy?" But uh, I, I had talked to Kickstarter too. They actually offered me their premium spot on their platform, which mm-hmm. is a great spot, you know. But they don't do the fulfillment, and I didn't feel as comfortable. So I called Hickman, and I was talking it out with him, and I was like, "Man, I'm thinking about going with the Zoop company." And Hickman's like, "Oh, Zoop. Funny enough, I'm going with them too." So. That made it that made me feel a lot more comfortable because uh, personally I go to Hickman with a lot for a lot of questions. He's a little older than me, a little little wiser, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I follow his lead a lot. Um, and he always tends to be right about the industry. So I think me and him, we were done talking. We both thought that what Zoop offers is exactly what's missing for the production of comics for the creative person that doesn't want to become a distributor and a marketing man and, and, all, that, and all that good stuff. So I'm really tickled to be with Zoop and uh, you know they're bending over backwards to make me happy. And uh, I'd urge uh, other creators to reach out if you're interested. Uh, yeah, the, I'm happy so far. We'll see how the campaign go, goes. You know, you never know. But uh, so far, I think we've done everything we can to make it as successful as possible. We'll find out uh, on Tuesday. Absolutely. So uh, yeah, let's 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 dig into Axe Builder John here. Uh, here's here's kind of the blurb that I found uh, for the listeners. It's about a faceless barbarian in a world of monsters and mayhem. He makes a precious discovery and learns just what a man is willing to lose in order to protect what he loves most. Uh, so we talked a little bit about, you know, the, the origin of this and, 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 you know, how you kind of came up with the idea. Um, you know, how did you end up putting, I guess, the rest of the team together for this? Oh, so the, the rest of the team, they're all, all really top-notch creators. The first thing I needed when I was going to start writing the story was I wanted to get an editor that I really respected. Um, so uh, there was this editor, and he's my editor now, Chris Stevens. And Chris Stevens won a couple of Eisners uh, for a couple of really big anthologies. And the one that he's probably most known for, and he's an ex-store owner as well, is uh, the Little Nemo and Slumberland book. It's r- probably the largest book that's ever been offered in your local store. It's like, you know, three foot tall and wide. They try to, they try to make them as big as the Sunday papers. And they basically had everyone in the industry that had a name contribute, and he won an Eisner for that. And um, I've talked to him. Uh, you know, years ago, I almost worked with him and I ended up flaking and he, he wrote me some mean messages just telling me how it is. And I always respected him for that because I, I deserve those mean messages. And so when I was going to make Axe Wilder, I knew I was going to have to keep have to work with someone who could tell me like it is and keep me on track. And so the first real key was getting Chris on board and getting his head into the story with me. And, you know, pretty soon we're line by line and panel by panel and shot for shot and talking things out. And that, that's been a real key asset. Um, the, the easiest person to bring along was Mike Garland who's colored me at Marvel, a little bit of Hulk stuff I've done, but mainly at my image titles and uh, he draws as well. And whenever a colors can draw, they can define form so well. So with Axe Wilder, we kind of planned out the palettes together and he's just been modeling it wonderfully and really heightening the art. Um, the other guy we got was uh, Farron Delgado, who's uh, also Eisner nominated, and he's really incorporating these really high impact. Um, he used to hand letter, but he's doing it digitally now, but there's still a lot of organicness to his lettering, which I love. And uh, his specifically his sound effects are really incorporated into the art to, to heighten it as well. So I, I, I knew their rates already because I've worked with, with these guys before, so I knew it was expensive, but what I've been doing over the years is I have, as, I, as, I've, as I've had success in comics, I will take my original art and sell it, but I'll turn around and buy like Frank Quietly art or somebody's art that's, you know, artists that I consider better than myself. And with over the years, I've had a nice collection build up and I've just had to sell a few pieces to fund the book and keep my wife from, you know, killing me for not making a paycheck. So that's pretty much uh, how I funded the book and how I built the team out. So this is your first sort of major outing as a writer. How's it going? Oh, it's a really interesting thing. Uh, the, the writing process, I, I really love. I've, 
I've written a couple things and every time I write a pitch or something, it becomes this like 50 page document with sketches and stuff, but it's always stays this amorphous kind of cloud of an idea that never solidifies down into a book. And with this one, uh, have you guys ever read on writing by Stephen King? Have you ever read that? Oh, uh, the sure. book on writing by Stephen King? Yeah. There's this really beautiful explanation of, um, being an archaeologist and this the story probably exists in this other space this imagination scape and we use our skill set to, to pull it out and very few things come out perfect but you know professional things probably come out good and so it was very much like that like i'd have an idea for a scene or i had it specifically with me with axel or john when my daughter was sick in the hospital people would come up to me and say um you got to give it over to god you know religious people would say that or uh, people that, you know, just or they'll say, trust, you got to trust the doctors, but you know, as a, as a dad, you felt helpless. And so, um, I started drawing this barbarian who, you know, took no crap from anyone and he was always going to do it his way. And because really I couldn't do that. So, so in this sketchbook, I was drawing him and, uh, there was this, the way, the way he came to me was, was really a reflection from my own situation. So then I thought, well, what if his way was wielding axes and what if you give him problems that he can no longer cut in two because you can't fix everything by breaking them. And so, because I, just like I couldn't fix things when I was in the situation I was in. So basically the, uh, the concept to give him an obstacle kind of spun a, uh, started spinning a story out and then scenes would start come to me, coming to me. And they had that saying, you know, you, you need to kill your darlings. But what I did was I would try to try to weave those into the tapestry of the whole, idea of the story and so it's really this almost unexplainable process of sometimes you're putting on your editor hat sometimes you're putting on your artist hat sometimes you're putting on your writer's hat i think the most interesting thing writing wise was one of the characters started speaking to me a lot uh this uh, young frame she's the frame narrator now her name's basil Toymaker, and she kind of adds the softness to this very much he's most sorry but as you're watching john you know plow through people and you know eviscerate them with his axes uh, it was, it was, her voice kept coming back and I, I originally just scrapped that, but then I told my editor about it, like, oh, her voice won't go away. Won't leave me alone, but I don't want to make this like a girly book with a frame narrating being like a 12 year old girl. And he's like, no, you got to listen to that. And so we teased it out and, uh, she kind of glues the whole, all the loose scenes because comic books kind of happen in scenes, but the way you transition the scenes and dialogue kind of connects them. And if there's an overarching frame narrator, then you can kind of glue everything together. So it's almost like a mismatch of scenes that you you just keep polishing and polishing until it becomes a, a really solid story. So uh, really figuring out the plot points and where to stick them. Well, working with Hickman, we worked Marvel style on the Manhattan projects. And when we started that, it was we got tight scripts and they, that gradually faded into him like on page on, on issue 15, we're going to twist this scene but we're going to establish it in issue seven and we would kind of bridge it together Marvel style. So what I did was I stuck my tent poles in the plot and the twist uh, for the whole, for the whole story. And then I knew that I could draw in between the plot points and get, and get myself there. And then after that, you come back and you got to, you know, rewrite or fix the dialogue. And it's just a whole, a, a lot of hats you wear at once. And uh, any given day you're doing, uh, you know, four or five different, uh, types of uh, titles i would say so it, it's a it's a it's a learning process is the, the long-winded story there <laughs> <laughs> at, at what point had you decided 
in in designing creating this character that John should be missing the middle of his face but still have a mustache. Oh, that, that's excellent. Uh, so you picked up on this, and uh, like I, it's very much a joke itself. Um, there's this UFC fighter named Don Fry, and he's got this big mustache, very Tom Selleck like. Very, and I, I always look at mustaches like that's the manliest thing a man can wear. And I really knew that John was going to be this overly over the top character. So something was going to take him down a peg in the story. So I thought if my masculinity is broken because I'm helpless, then I'm going to break John's masculinity in the story. But it, so then I started erasing his mustache down the middle. I'm going to break his mustache in half. But then I saw a cool thing would just be put the whole scar up his face. But it was a sight gag for myself to like symbolize the the breaking of his masculinity in a way and it, it it works into the story in a later volume where i'll show how he loses it but uh and it's very much uh, like his uh he gets taken down a peg so yeah that's that's how I, it was a, a visual sight gag that became a very distinct uh character design element so yeah that's interesting you picked up on it i've done a lot of interviews now no one ever brings up the split mustache you know which is i think very glaring in a way you know <laughs> I, I I guess because I am mustachioed myself, I just you know drawn drawn to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, a very manly mustache you have too, my friend. If mine was thicker, I would grow. I would grow out only a mustache for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it uh, it it took it took like four. It took about forty two years to get here. It you know it's <laughs> it's the journey. <laughs> uh, so. This is this is clearly a very brutal book. A very you know we got we got, we had a guy missing a whole chunk of his face, swinging an axe around. You know how what is a what is a uh, you know we're obviously not looking for story spoilers here, but you know what, what what's a good tease tease us with a little bit of uh, a, a sample of some of the uh, the, the old ultra violence uh, therein. I, I think I think the best way to. to, to there, I had a few uh, like log lines and tag lines, but they they all kind of give away a little bit too much of a twist. And there's a bunch of twists like lined up in the story. But um, the best way to look at it is like a very like I love uh, Metal Herlant and Mobius. And uh, Mobius, he's the famous you know French artist and Jean Giraud when he was working uh, on westerns with Blueberry. But he was brought into Hollywood to do some design work. Uh, uh, the the Dune the failed the famous failed Dune project mm -hmm. and uh, Aliens, but he did some design work on Masters of the Universe, the movie with Dolph Lundgren. Oh. So the the suit for Dolph Lundgren, the drawing that they used was a Mobius drawing. I actually own that original, which is pretty neat. Mm -hmm. And uh, at the end of Masters of the Universe, Frank Angela turns into this gold Skeletor, mm -hmm. and it's oh. he's really terrifying. And that's another Mobius design. So I always thought, what if Mobius just drew a very straightforward, violent He-Man comic? And I always wanted that to exist, but it just doesn't exist. And Mobius is a huge influence, and I'm far down the ladder when it comes to ever, you know, any everyone is to reach his, you know, mastery. But I thought, if I'm not going to do it, who else is going to do it? And I, and I want to see it. And there was a few other things I wanted out of comics. Like, I, I love Art Adams. I think Art Adams is... Uh, you know, probably for me, a top three artist and maybe the best superhero artist, you know, ever to do it. His drawings are so good and with form mm -hmm. and detail that they he understands them in three dimensional space. They turn them into all kinds of advertisement art and uh, toys sometimes because he understands form so well. And uh, but he but he only focuses on covers now because 
he's so good. That's all he really needs to do. But I really liked it early on in his career when he would just do one book a year or one book every, you know, eight months. And so I was like, well, maybe I could take that to the crowdfunding space where I can do the big oversized hundred page volumes once a year. And then can I do a Mobius book like that where I where I just overdraw the heck out of a you know, violent book that I want to tell? And with the Axe Wilder John Art specifically, um, it's very widescreen, you know, all the panels are pretty wide. And so what I did was I, instead of doing my pages on 11 by 17, I took every panel and blew it up to 11 by 17 and then oh, inked wow. it with pins and stuff. So each original is actually three pages tall. And, uh, you know, like a, a page turned sideways wide. So 33 by 17 and all the original artists on Axwiller. So it's uh, the stack of art's pretty, I'm, I'm impressed with my own stack of art. I just recently had to mail it out to my uh, original art rep and it weighed 17.8 pounds of pages I mailed them. So it was a year and a half worth, worth of work. So, um, yeah, so I, I just really wanted to see if I could, you know, the, Zoop model with distribution and then my mindset with like this missing Mobius book that always rattled in the back of my head. And uh, also the He-Man thing, like I loved He-Man as a, I think as kids, we mm -hmm. are practicing our imagination by projecting ourselves or whatever into our little toys and whether they be Barbies or, you know, male power fantasies or whatever. But mm -hmm. mine just happened to be He-Man when I was a kid. And then when I got 12 or 13, you get that age where you got to give up your toys and uh, I always hated that. So then when I learned to draw at about 17 or 18, I realized I was gradually getting my toys back. And when I started getting gigs like on Ninja Turtles, I'm mm -hmm. like, oh, I get to play with my Ninja Turtle toys again. But now it's OK because I've built a little bit of a craft up to put it in two dimensional space. Mm -hmm. So uh, so I was thinking, like, like I want to play and break all my E-Man toys again. And I want this Mobius book that doesn't exist. It's not going to be as good as Mobius, but I'm going to do my best. And then I want to do it with doing one every book a year by overdrawing it and putting everything I can into one thing. And uh, yeah, I knew it was a big task and I wasn't going to ask the fans to support it with just a couple of pages. So uh, yeah, I, I finished it all except for 14 pages of an oversized hardcover now. So I was just trying to, with this campaign and with this book, I really wanted to do it my way and I didn't want to pitch it. I just wanted to make the book because if I would have gone to a regular publisher and said, I'm going to do this over the top violence, they'd be like, well, we can't sell it or, or, or that's not the format we use, or we got to do monthly and break it up into five issues so we can, you know, sell it in different ways. But I just didn't see the story that way. And uh, I just want to test, I really, with this project, I want to test the market and see if that's a viable solution, you know, because it's, it's the comic, like the comics I want to read. I love the evergreens. I go back to them and read them all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and usually it's somebody who went nuts for like a year or two and then they, they put it out and it's like there forever, you know? Uh, so that's, that was kind of my, my means of making it was just answers to the own problem, my own problems or issues I had with the industry. So. So are you, are you keeping any of the art for yourself or are you just sending it? Is that 17 pages, the entire book, except for those 14 you haven't finished? Yeah. So, um, it's, it's a little tough. So like, uh, we got, we're running a 40 day campaign and my schedule is to get a page every two and a half days. So I'm right mm -hmm. on schedule to finish. We were finished, but my editor and I talked about story stuff and you know, we ended up coming up with like 10 more pages. So I went from four to 14 recently. Um, but, but I, I do want to keep the art. There's some very special pages in there. I've, I have two girls now, you know, my other, my other daughter got healthy. She's fine. She's three, but 
my wife, you know, she did the thing where uh, you can't get pregnant if you're breastfeeding. You know, that's a that's a lie, guys. I'm telling you that because we got two kids 14 months apart, you know, so um, two little girls. So uh, we uh, so they see me working all the time and they know daddy's in the other room working and mm-hmm. they'll come in and there's a few they'll be they'll say ask John or there's a there's this big giant um one-eyed monster he's a cyclops and uh he's bald and he's got like rough skin and uh i recently got a really nice painting on him of him from this famous painter das pastores it cost me a lot of money mm-hmm. i hold it up and i show my daughter and she's like turtle she calls him a turtle so i'm like crap you know i've designed a turtle you know so um so like there's like stuff that's like kind of sweet and sentimental that i'll hold on to um, but, but, but really, you know, the asking price for, for what I want from the campaign, I put 20,000 into it and I've taken any money. Mm-hmm. I might need to sell that art or a good chunk of it to make sure this thing gets funded. And there's no way I'm not going to make it. So just as a backup, I'm going to make sure my art rep has it. And we've got an advanced reader's copy and my rep will send that to people interested in reading it early and if they like it, then they, they'll be able to read it before they buy the pages. So we're, it's kind of a gray area. It's not really the way things usually work, but I didn't want to, I'm not going to let this fail. You know, I, I refuse to let it fail. And if it's going to cost me, you know, half the art from the book, then it'll cost me half the art from the book. But generally I like to hold on to the pieces that I really love. And there are some pieces in there that mean a lot to me, you know, so that's a really good question. So uh, this is a, a, this is me going on a tangent sort of, and I try to avoid that, but I'm really curious. We've been talking about I'll allow it. Thank you. We've been talking about all the original art over your shoulder. Is that the original Seth Fisher cover to Green Lantern <laughs> Will World? That, yeah, that's the poster. Actually, you know, I got a lot of Seth. I, I, I'll show you some Seth Fisher art. This is pretty yeah. interesting. I know no one can see it, but I've got a, this is a page of Seth's because uh, actually I'm working with Seth's brother. This is a page from Batman Snow. Yes. So, oh, I remember yeah, that book. Yeah, I love that book. So I got like three or four. I got three pages from this i flew out to san diego one year because his, his artwork meant so much to me that uh one year i flew out to his i uh, meet his mom after he had passed and i just said you know your son's work meant so much to me and he was kind of a guiding light he was more mechanical than a lot of the mobius guys and so i could kind of understand how he used perspective a little better and he used all microns so i could mimic that style so i was very much kind of ripping him off early in my career but when he passed away, I wrote his family and said, you know, like your son's work, I mean, I'm a nobody, you know, but your son's work means a lot to me and I'm going to try to do this comic book thing. So, you know, his, his work kind of lives on in the guys he influences. And luckily I made it. And then years later is, is when I was in San Diego, probably five years ago, his mom invited me out to dinner. Uh, we went to dinner and I went to back to their place uh, with his stepdad and his nephew got to meet a lot of his family. And then she pulled out all the drawers of his art that his family had been holding on to. And she allowed me to buy a piece. And uh, late, a couple of years later, um, she reached out when she was thinking about selling some of the pieces to his, he has a son named Tofu. And so they were going to get some money for him for schooling or whatever. So mm-hmm. she wants to release some pieces. And so my art rep Felix agreed to rep with no, with no commission to help him out. So I was able to pick up a few more pieces there. So yeah, like I, I have a pretty decent collection, but I got a piece from Will World. That's, I wish I had the original cover to Will World. <laughs> That's just the original poster that came out, but I do have uh, a, a great page of Green Lantern from Will World and, uh, I got a page from Big in Japan and a couple other pieces. So yeah, he's a, he was a very big early influence on me. So uh, I, what I loved about Seth specifically was 
the charm he put into his work. Like on the Batman Snow, that was on Legends of the Dark Knight, and it was all gritty and gritty. But here you got this guy with this campy Adam West. This was before, you know, the 66 Batman came back. But uh, he was doing that kind of thing. And you could just tell the guy had a levity about him or a charm about him. And it, it showed in his pages. And um, like Mobius has this saying, uh, art, an artist encodes reality. And so what I take that as is they absorb stuff and they delineate through their own vision and with their craft, put it back on the page. And you can just see so much of his personality in the pages. It's, it's a huge loss that he passed away so young, yeah. but uh, but he left a mark, you know, it left a mark for me for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, especially snow is one that's i'm I'm a batman guy so that one's oh but, yeah yeah but will world he did a flash one shot that i remember yeah, time flies time flies yep. yeah yep and uh a short with joe hill that oh yeah the spider-man short with joe hill he did that, that and then he did another little side yep. thing that came out in a bigger book with joe hill yeah i had that yep. as well it's collected with the, some of the lock and key stuff which is yep. another one of my favorite yeah books so yeah I, I saw that i was like oh wow that's original seth fisher that's awesome yeah i got a few i got a few things uh you know i'm a huge quietly fan like uh i know no one can see this like uh the cover to flex mentality number one which is uh by grant morrison and him the doom patrol character so i have that which is really cool but uh, i i did a i did an art show and tell podcast so i have it all sitting next to me i usually put it up in the safe but uh i have it all pulled out now so but i love showing it off and that was, you know, that's really me investing, me taking my art when I do make my sales. I never try to take it back into my bank account. I say, Felix, hold it. I'm going to pick some stuff out that I really want. But the problem is the art market's getting crazy. So mm. it's more tempting to sell and it's harder to buy. And I want to hold the pieces just so I have something to trade these days so I can get other new pieces in. So, yeah, unfortunately, the modern art is not keeping up with like stuff 20 or 30 years ago. That stuff is exploding now. So, sure. Yeah. Yeah, collector markets are just weird all over. It, it, it's funny. I'd seen that you, you had tweeted the the stack of eleven by seventeen, and 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 I knew the tweet had said panels, but I looked it over like 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 three or four times. I'm like, that's that's a typo, right? <laughs> There's no. It's, that feels bit. That feels big. I mean, I'm a dummy, but still. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's why the stack is so big, because the story is only like 100 and something pages. And we got a lot of extras in the back to fill up the 148 page hardcover. So the stack should have been like this. But after the stack is three times up, it's like, you know, this, you know. So it looks a lot. It looks like it's kind of the art for like a, you know, a 300 page story, but it's not really. It's uh, it's just a lot of oversized drawings. And I did that because I wanted it to be as detailed as possible. I also was never sure exactly how I was going to release it, but I did think that the story's going to go for a long time. It's, it's, I got five volumes planned. I don't know if I'll get there, but definitely the first three I've already got the covers for, and I'm already working on the second one, at least doing the layouts and the kind of scripts right now. But um, so I know the first thing I'm going to try to do no matter what. Uh, but with that specifically, um, I knew I didn't like this is probably too specific for the podcast, but like if I'm at volume three in three years, mm -hmm. volume one might be out of print. How will I release the book? And I was thinking that the third panel tier and 11 by 17 would fit really well on a screen. So if I needed to release it as a PDF or a web comic to build up interest so readers could catch up then I could, I was trying to plan ahead, but probably over planning, you know, but then by the time I had started it, I'd already started it that way. So I just kept plowing forward. So, um, yeah. I was trying to think, overthink it is probably what I was doing. No, that that's interesting, and I and, and you know, especially the idea that that makes it 
you know, from a digital reading standpoint, it, it's like, it's like you've built in guided view. Yeah. Which, and then which I, is better than comiXology is doing right now. So, and then, and then I love, like, I love manga comics and uh, since it's all stacked apart too, and there's always that transition where you're, am I reading this left to right the right way? It only reads up and down and it, they both, both manga and American read up and down. So if I ever want to do a digest size, there won't be any adjustments needed. So I, I, I never put two panels next to each other. Now, Storytelling wise, that does present problems because I love small beats and little character moments. And I've kind of chopped out some of the, uh, I call it, I guess it's decompressed where you say something, I say something, but I give the pa another panel of like, here, let me listen. And then I deliver the line, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I don't get to do those little character beats anymore because it would waste a third of a page, you know, it would take me for, it would take me forever and the book would extend further. So I'm having to like, uh, the book is spaced out well but I don't get to do the little minutia character moments that I, that I really love illustrating. So yeah, that's a, that was one of the problems with the format. Does it, are you considering the option in future installments to, to kind of break up panel layouts and, and kind of change it up a little bit? Oh yeah. Yeah. We, I spoke with the editor extensively about this um, with the first volume being more in the third tier, we thought, there's a lot more story to tell in the middle of the middle of the book. So the next volume, we would go to six to get, make sure we get all those character beats when we're meeting John Moore and he's got more dialogue and he's meeting the frame narrator. Uh, when all those character moments were really getting to know the characters, we were going to bump it to six and then end it with this same three tier. So it kind of fits like a sandwich. And that way it kind of has a, a story like a, fairy tale feel to it i think a light fairy tale feel so it kind of ends it opens and ends with the fairy tale like feeling and then the middle is more of the meat and potatoes uh story uh it, book one is really a lot of you know ultra violent over the top drawing and a lot of setup uh you know if i was doing you know panel grids or something i probably could have squeezed this into a 48 page book but since i'm doing basically three three panels per page you're getting this really open, really detailed story that's kind of spread out, you know, to 108 pages or so. So yeah, it definitely had its limitations, but uh, I do want, I, I'm interested to, you know, we're dealing with printers and stuff now, and I'm interested to see what the final product would look like. We're going to print it oversized, um, 12 inches high. So, and we're going to make it a hardcover and make it look as nice as possible. Cause I, I love the kind of like the Jeff Darrow size. I don't know if you've seen the re-releases of the Jeff Darrow stuff with Dark Horse. I'm really copying him. And uh, Jeff Darrow called me recently, which was really cool. He called me from France and he had saw the work online and he gave me a call. And uh, as a, he's obviously a big influence on me and, you know, he knew Mobius well. And mm -hmm. so we talked for like an hour and now he'll shoot me text of stuff he's drawing and I'll shoot him text of stuff I'm drawing. So I think he's like, all right, kid, you've annoyed me enough and copied me <laughs> enough. I guess I'll just be nice to you. Uh, I guess we'll be friends now. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what are some of the, the bonus goodies, uh, you know, in terms of like reward tiers and stuff, the campaign? Oh, we got a lot of stuff. Um, I, we got a, uh, I love muscle figures as a kid. And then, oh, yeah. so I got, I got a guy to design a muscle figure. Uh, we've printed some, but we want to recast them in rubber. So they're not resin. So we're going to have rubber, little rubber men. Uh, I mentioned Seth Fisher. His brother is a really top tier lithographer and, and he reached out and the family's always kind of stayed you know, relative, uh, you know, we follow each other on Facebook. We don't interact a whole lot, mm -hmm. um, but, but he reached out and he wanted to do a really nice lithograph of John's first appearance that I drew. 
And so he's doing the, the, our high-end piece in there. We're going to do this limited of 20, uh, a lithograph from Asa Fisher, who's Seth Fisher's brother. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's already started. He's already sent me the artist proofs for it. It's really beautiful. It's 22 by 30. It's the largest my art's ever been printed. And, um, he, you know, the lithographs are handmade. So each one's, uh, you know, kind of in its own original piece of art. Um, we're offering that. Uh, we're offering some of the original art uh, through Felix Comic Art. Mm-hmm. And what, what Felix will do is if you... If you go to that tier and as an add-on, uh, Felix will get your email and email you a uh, PDF, an early PDF in the book so you can read it before we do the art drop. So we're trying to think around how to get that you know, in, into the campaign. So we got that. Um, we got, uh, I hired this really famous painter. He's famous overseas more than the States, but his name is Das Pastoras. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, he's worked with Joe Dorosky and he worked on Metal Herlant. Um, and, uh, he's doing, you can tell Jason Aaron likes him. Jason Aaron will use him on Thor every now and then, but, uh, Jose Villarubia is his rep. He's, he's in Spain and he speaks Spanish. So I'm having to go through Jose to translate. And, uh, we sent him the actual John Leonard and he was a big fan. And he said, uh, he would be willing to do the three main covers for the next three volumes. So I have those covers done early because while he was free, I wanted to get them done. So I, and so what we're going to do is we're going to offer those as a, I guess the, the, the word is Geely print or Geely print. I don't know exactly how to say it, but it's something like that. So that's going to be a tier to get the painted cover by him. I don't think I can get him signed because he's all the way in Spain, but uh, I think we're going to knock the price down uh, to make sure people you know, want to order them. There's a couple things we got planned, a Marvel masterpiece card since I got those paintings. Uh, if, if we unlock the, you know, our first stretch goal will be unlocking them. So, um, and we're doing a couple extra things too. Like everyone on our email list will get a free Marvel masterpiece card. If I actually, it's better to give away more because the more you print, the cheaper they are. So like, instead of printing 25, if I print 500, I actually get them for, you know, probably the same cost or, you know, not much more. So we're giving those away to everyone on the email list who signed up early and we'll probably, when we unlock the Marvel Masterpiece tier, we're going to go ahead and give that to everybody if we get there, you know, um, which I, I think, I'm thinking we will. Uh, some of our early projected numbers look really good. We've collected almost 600 emails for people pre-interested and uh, the metrics on that are usually pretty good. Um, I think like 50%, 40% on the list will usually make a purchase. So we got a lot of interesting items. Um, we probably got a few, oh, we'll, off, we'll obviously offer sketches and remarks and I think a big one if retailers listen, uh, I love stores and uh, I always want to support them. So we're doing 50% off uh, whatever the cost of the hardcover is, but uh, free signatures and I'll do a free sketch in every book you order. So that way, you know, the retailers will be able to move the product. So do that at no extra cost. And I was telling Zoop I wanted to do that. And I'm like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, I really want the book in stores because I love my local stores and I understand that they get, they need to make money. It's hard to invest in a campaign. It's hard to deal, do something outside of diamond or the regular uh, distributors. So um, hopefully that extra perk might get a couple more books ordered. So. Cool. Uh, so we did get uh, a couple of Twitter questions. Uh, I'll, I'll uh, fire off this one from our uh, regular Twitter inquisitor, Asimov Fangirl, who asks, uh, what makes the axe a cool weapon or, or, or why the axe, I guess, uh, for your character? Well, I, I really want to, what I wanted to do was without spoiling it, there's like, well, I can tell you the idea where the axe came from. It's probably a decent story, but have you ever seen Desperado, the Robert Rodriguez movie and in it, 
Um, you had um, Danny Trey who, Trejo, who was the knife thrower, and he had like a vest full of knives. So I was like, I'm going to do that. Anytime I saw anything, I was going to do it times like American consumerism, right? Like, <laughs> uh, you'll have knives, but I'll have a coat full of axes. You know, you'll have X, but my guy will have 10 of X, you know, that kind of thing. And so I kept trying to up the ante. And then I knew I wasn't making anything that wasn't a comic. Because I, I, what I really love about comics is when you open them up and you're like, why, why did this person make this? You know, like who made this? That sense of wonder when you pick up like an indie book or an ash can or something that's kind of done with some skill and thought, but kind of insane. You always like you question, you know, the creator a little bit. And I really wanted to make a product like that, that would like uh, have a little wow factor. And so I just thought a guy wielding axes was cool. And it, it kind of goes back to like, uh, you know, my dad's a construction worker. My brother's a construction worker. My other brother's a construction worker. I would have been a construction worker if I didn't fall in love with comics and find the work of the Mobius tree of artists that I love. Mm -hmm. And uh, they work with their hands, you know, and uh, when, when my whole situation with the daughter, my daughter happened, I was like, what would you do if you were just this man who's like, I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to put the team on my back and I'm going to fix this. And then like give him something cooler than being an electrician, you know, give him axes, you know, make him, make him an ax wielder. So I also like the name ax wielder, John. I love names that are like just the, the Hellboy, ax wielder, John, Shaolin cowboy. I love that it's a, a noun and it's solid. And he's got that scar on his face. Like all that really came to me very early. It just felt like a good marketing sensor tool. I mean, I don't know if his face is so ugly. I don't know if it's marketable at all. You know, like I don't think people are going to be horrified when they see that cover on the shelves. But, uh, but I, that was the thought behind it. Yeah. Just to, to take like a, what, if you're, this guy's a knife thrower, then I'll make him an ax thrower. But, and then I thought a code of like 55 axes would be, impossible to ever move from onto the big screen but something i can maybe draw and so i set out to try to design a character with with all that rolled into one so you know we it, it's come up a few times you had to take a little time off for for family stuff you know uh, uh, obviously things are better now this project does this kind of feel to you kind of like you getting yourself back into into fighting shape uh, as a creator yeah, well, I guess after this project, I got to go on a diet and start working out again. You know, I got to do that. I got to do that after after every project. It's like this, you know, like, oh, God, I've gained 30 pounds. I got to get out and start exercising, moving around more. But but yeah, it's like um, it's really interesting, too, because kind of like with the original art thing where we're having to, like, do things early. Usually you have to wait for the book to be out before you sell the original art. But since I run it myself and I, I really want to get that to the campaign, I'm doing it early. So something about the marketing too. It's like the book's not out yet, but really I need the marketing like with you guys help to be out there early. So people order the book because if the book comes out, you know, the book barely sells and comes out in six months, nobody can really order at that point because it's not available anymore. So we're having to invert that. And so I'm getting to ride the high of uh, having the book almost done early, you know, and, and getting interviews and getting some traction. And we've sent out the advanced pdf to a lot of people and gotten some good reviews and good pull quotes so yeah it's felt really good uh i think i'm most proud that i've stuck with it because so many times i've had ideas that never really solidified and bet on myself and you know hickman's a mentor and uh he sent the pdf back and he graded it like a paper and gave me notes and edits on it but at the end, he wrote, Nick, I'm proud of you. And uh, that was probably the nicest thing uh, he's ever said. He doesn't give compliments that often. So I think I worked on Manhattan Projects, what, seven years with him? And I, I don't think he ever complimented me. I think he does that on purpose to control everyone he works with, but that's fine. I'll, I'll play his <laughs> Jedi games. 
Well, that, that segues nicely because uh, I was a huge Manhattan Project fan. That was one of my favorite books. And I mean, you had so many crazy designs in there. Was there one that you were just, you sit back now and you're like, boy, that was that design. That That's something I'm proud of. I, I, and, you know, be it Alien <laughs> Fermi or where Leica or Werner von Braun's giant robot arm. Yeah. All that stuff was fun, man. It was really cool. Uh, speaking of the robot arm, if you like Hickman, everything that was a little bit silly in the book, it actually has to do with like research on Hickman's part. There's a photograph whenever after operation paperclip and we got Werner von Braun over here where he got in a really bad car wreck and he's got his arm in this giant cast. So Hickman was like, Oh, there's a historical picture of him with a giant cast on. We'll put that he was hiding his robot arm, right? So like little things like that that readers don't know about, like everything's got a little wink. I think for sure my favorite was uh, the uh, uh, Truman. Yeah, Truman's uh, crazy hat. And I had a sex orgy in the White House and all that. That was where I got to go like crazy. And uh, I love. I, I think of selling art. I sold that page and that's like one I regret. I wish I had that one back where he's like running around and doing a seance in the Oval Office. And uh, yeah, he was fun, like FDR AI, you know, FDR is dead, but we upload him into AI. So calling him FDR AI was fun. It was just all these little side gags, but also a good plot because Hickman's so smart about the whole. And the first 20 issues I'm extremely proud of. We were Eisner nominated in that run and made the New York Times bestsellers list. The property, I still make money on the property to, the, to this day. And uh, it's been, it was, it's such a, a rewarding book creatively. And I learned a lot about the writing process, you know, working Marvel style on that. And, uh, you know, off the record or on the record, we'll say on the record, but we've had people reach out that were really high up in media that have had interest in over the years. We got, we got a potential thing brewing now that could come to fruition. But years ago, the first two was uh, Matt Parker and Trey Stone, the South Park guys. They were like all in. They love Manhattan projects. They called Hickman a couple of times and were trying to get Hickman to want to do something. And I don't know, it never came to fruition. Hickman would always tell me about it, but Hickman got busy and we, we never really did it. But now we're at a point where, you know, there's another really big, um, I don't want to say platform or, or show or, or whatever, but there's a, there's some people interested in it now. So maybe we'll see it again. And me and Hickman, we restructured the very end to start going into limited series and mini series. So we could always go back to it. And there's stuff that's hidden in the first 15 or 20 issues that we plotted out for 30 issues that we've never got to get to. A lot of the Oppenheimer stuff comes back and uh, we've got like all these great turns with that character, uh, but we just haven't had time to get back to it yet. But eventually Will, he wants to wait until, you know, one of these other media things are announced and he said, we'll come back and do an arc or two. And uh, I'd love to do that. It's definitely the best paying gig I've ever had in my life. And, uh, you know, I co-own it. So uh, I don't mind that one bit. Uh, and they're, they're fun characters to draw. I think I made this huge leap from how I started drawing. And then on the Manhattan projects, I said, I'm just going to have fun. It was drawing that was becoming so limited and trying to draw better. And uh, it became, was becoming normalized, but on the Manhattan projects, I thought about the like the silhouettes of the characters more and how the Simpsons, you can black out a character and see the shape. And I said, okay, my my Feynman's gonna have this kind of head or my Groves is gonna have a block head. So I got to pull all their pictures up and I was gonna caricature them all to where they were instantly recognizable from the outside. And then the details also had good recognizable features. So I knew it was this alt history thing we were going in, but I really learned 
how to be a better cartoonist on that series over time. And uh, like the first 20, the first two hardcovers, I'm really proud of. The end, we got a little whimsical, got a little, we got the plots got a little looser. And so I'm not as proud, but I'll put those first, the first two hardcovers up. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, if I give anything away to someone who wants to know my stuff, that's generally what I'll, what I'll hand them. So I'm very proud of that. You're doing a lot of interviews to you know get the word out about this campaign right now and probably over the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, silly question, but have you ever done an interview or been to a convention and been mistaken for Nick Dragata? <laughs> yes, all the time. Yeah, actually, I got that question recently, but yeah, um, I teed it up for somebody else. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that that question exactly. Um, uh, we would get one Dragata is a good friend. Uh, I love Nick Dragata. He's a cool dude. We went to Japan together and uh, bought a bunch of manga. Me, James Heron, Trad Moore, a couple guys. We all we all flew with Felix and we, we did that stuff. And Dragata's a, a, a terrible influence because he'd be like, you got to buy this, you got to buy this. And and up buying like $3,000 worth of, you're speaking of those muscle toys, why I have an actual John muscle toy. Over there, it's Kaniki Man is his name. And he's got like, he's like a mickey mouse type character he's everywhere you know there's not just we only got the little one in one and a half inch rubber toy dude they've got multiple posing action figures they got a whole tv series they got like everything over there um so uh whenever i went with hickman on the manhattan projects east of west uh had started with dragata and dragata (laughs) patera sound quite a bit alike and so uh the heart the hardest uh interactions at shows because i'm like so excited when someone comes up and likes my work and they're like oh my god i love your work and i'm like oh thank you so much and the one of two things happens either i reach over to give them a free print because i always have extra prints to give away for free and i'm like here you go and you watch their face change just slightly when it's a manhattan project sprint <laughs> and you're like uh-oh they think i'm nick Trigata, right so so like either they really realize it first or they pull out a book and it's East of West and then I'm realizing it first. But at the beginning, it's like this very sincere, sweet um, exchange. And then we're like, oh, this is, this is going to go terrible. And I'm just thinking, this is about to go terrible for this person because they're going to feel embarrassed. I'm not really embarrassed. I just feel bad for them. So it makes it a little awkward. So yeah, Dragata and Patera, they get people get them jumbled up. And it made it worse as we did a tandem print one year of East to West and Manhattan projects when they were both coming out. So then mm. the print didn't work anymore. If they didn't, I just signed the wrong side of the print, you know? So uh, <laughs> it's probably happened. I mean, you know, maybe those, at least they could walk away and pretend like they knew it was me. But uh, the other times when they pull out East to West, there's just no, uh, there's no solution for that not to be awkward. I'm just like, so, oh yeah, all that nice stuff you said, <laughs> that's not about me, but I appreciate it, you know? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, no, you want the other Nick? He's at table uh, E. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh man, um, are you? Are you? Do you have any conventions lined up this year? I don't have any conventions uh, with the Zoop campaign in particular, and uh, we want to do the oversized hardcover, mm-hmm. and I want to make it really nice. And so it's like the worst time in the history of printing hardcover books with the paper shortages and yep. uh, the delays and freight shipping and stuff so i we can't like i've got most of the book finished which feels really good 
but I don't, I cannot say the day it's going to show up at your door because we've got to still do that process. We're going to offer whoever buys the hardcover, we reflect their emails so I can, when the PDF is ready and perfect, when we send it off to the printers, if there's any delays at the printers, they get the free PDF as well, just to tie them over in case. But uh, I didn't want to do any shows until all my obligations for the campaign's done. So I haven't done anything yet. And I love shows. I love going to shows. But, uh, you know, with being a new dad, I got a two and three year old now. And it's a little harder to leave. We did move up closer to her family. So hopefully they can watch them some more. So I don't think anything this year. Next year, um, I'll probably start hitting the convention circuit again quite a bit. Once I lose a little weight after <laughs> sitting on my butt and drawing for the last year. So after after the training montage yeah after the training montage i got i got a training montage to do first so <laughs> uh um what are you reading right now oh what am i reading right now i'm reading a little bit oh what do i got i got lots of stuff sitting around uh there's the, the nausicaa hardcover um i always have my like old mobius books out there's this one this is kind of a sexual book the angel claw one it's an old one um, but maybe this one recently, um, I've been reading, oh, man, I read lots of stuff, man. I think the best, I mean, I can be generic. I think the best book that gets new readers in that got my wife in reading is probably saga by Brian K. Vaughn. Mm. I, lo I love, I love his stuff. I think Jeff Lemire might be the best writer artist in the last, you know, 10 years or so. I think, uh, his raw cartooning is so cool and he has a real good sentimentality to him. Mm -hmm. Um, I reread recently, and one of my favorite cartoonists is this uh, Norwegian cartoonist named Jason. It's just J-A-S-O-N. And he did uh, um, I Killed Adolf Hitler and all these cool books. Like, I Killed Adolf Hitler is, like, one of my favorite books. And uh, what he does so well is he hides, like, a very much slice of life story, but there's a werewolf running around. Or, like, uh, in I Killed Adolf Hitler, you would think it's about a guy who's going to go kill off Adolf Hitler. And it is. But really, it's about him never settling down with his girlfriend. And uh, he time travels and messes some stuff up. And then he goes to make his hit on Hitler. But I think Hitler shaved off his mustache or there's some side gag. But when he comes back, um, he, he's an old man and she's still young. And she's been waiting for this guy to settle down with her for years. And he lays in bed with her. And the way Jason cartoons, it's this, it's Scott McCloud talks about it, where it's so pared down that you're aware of the message and not the messenger anymore. I'm always a messenger guy. Like I like the Mobius. I like the Jeff Darrow, but reading when you're actually reading the books, it's so cool to see the icons pared down. And because you start projecting yourself into those characters, all that deadpan stuff that Jason does. And there's this really great page. I would love to buy it one day if I could ever find it, but he, she's like pissed off at him and he's sleeping on the couch or something. And then he kind of gets in bed with her as this old man now, and he's messed his life up and he puts his arm around her and she opens her eyes in one panel and then closes her eyes, but she doesn't shove him away or anything. And I thought that's such a powerful story thing. Um, I love this uh, Norky or Urusawa who did Pluto. He's a manga guy, mm. but if no one's read manga, I think Pluto is probably the best manga I've read so far because it's not over acted as much. It's this love letter to Pluto and, that's what I recommend to everybody too. I'm really bad about going back into my old stuff and not reading anything new. So I'm kind of being a turd right now and I apologize, but there's a, there's a lot of stuff I love. I love, uh, man, I'm trying to think what I've read recently. I got, 
my stack of new to read books always builds up. <laughs> I never get through. <laughs> it's always that you know that meme with the guy looking back. It's like your stack of to read, and then the, the new comic book day. I'm always looking back at the new comic book day, but never getting through my to read. Um, yeah, so uh, there's a lot of books I love. Uh, I don't know. Sorry, my answer's failing on that one. You gave multiple examples. I, yeah. <laughs> you did not immediately go, uh, well, uh, 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 which we, we get a lot and kind of feel bad sometimes, but it's a good question. And he did do the Kaiser Soze look around the room thing. Right. <laughs> yes. And you yeah, mentioned yeah. Jason. Uh, I, I love Werewolves of Montpellier. Oh, I love that one. That's yeah. a great one. Yeah, I love my, that one. Yeah. Our, our friend, uh, friend of the show, previous multiple time guest, uh, John Bush is a huge Jason fan. He's like, no, dude, you need to read this. It's like, it's got werewolves. And then I read it. It's like, okay, it's got werewolves, but it's, it's not really about werewolves, but it's still awesome. I'm going to show you. I do actually have a Jason original here somewhere. Um, I love his stuff. And yeah, this is from, I forget which one this one's from. It's not written on here, but yeah, I got a page. This is a, in case uh, Dan doesn't know, he does these cat face people, and it's this cool page where he just like guy comes in the room and just stabs him in the gut. It's so deadpan and funny. But I was walking by uh, the dealer booth, Scott Eater or Edder, and he and he does a lot. He has a lot of the indie guys, you know, the just a lot of the great, of great independent indie guys. And he had one page of, and I was looking for. I was like, man, I always wanted a page from Jason, and he had one. And uh, I think he's. If I'm reading a comic just to read it and enjoy it, he's he's a master. I, I love the stuff. So yeah, the the werewolf one is good. There's a couple, and then uh, Panographics kind of collected a lot of his shorts in like three hardcovers, and I got those, and those are all pretty great. But uh, I think I killed Adolf Hitler. Still, my favorite. There's one he didn't write. I think the Isle of a Thousand Corpses or something like that. It's something like that. And but he didn't write that one. It's not as good because he. I think because he didn't write it. They recently put out a collection. I think it might only be digital of before he was the, the animal face guy. It was like his actual drawings. And it doesn't work as good, in my opinion. It works good, but it's uh, you see the, the inkling of how he started. But he got it down when he started paring it down and kind of like Chris Ware meets anthropomorphic animals. Like, uh, it's so good. So he's one of my absolute favorites. Well, Nick, this has been uh, an excellent hour. Uh, final question before we let you go. How can people follow you online and keep up with and back uh, Axe Wielder John? Uh, well, to make it easy on everyone, I bought the URL axewielder.com. That will take you right to the Zoop page. If you go to the Zoop page, you can find me. I should be on the active campaigns by the time this comes out. I'm just Nick Patero online. I have an Axe Wielder John Twitter account or Nick Patero on Twitter to promote it. Uh, Instagram, I seem to be getting the most traction right now um, for whatever reason. I'm just Nick Patero on Instagram and I share a lot of process posts and do a lot of uh, self-promotion, which is probably uh, insufferable at times, but I'm just trying to get the book out there to many people as possible. So uh, if you can stomach it, follow me. Uh, if you're interested in watching somebody, you know, eviscerate his He-Man toys uh, one last time as an adult, uh, check out Axe Wilder and John. Uh, the book is almost complete. It's going to be a 148 page oversized hardcover. Uh, it's my, you know, my attempt at pretending to be half as good as Mobius and Jeff Darrow and Frank Quietly and Seth Fisher. So if you like those guys and you, uh, but you're okay with being a Kmart shopper, come get yourself some Kmart Mobius. Uh, I got lots for you. All right. Well, uh, Nick, Nick uh, thank you very much for coming on the show. 
Hey, man, thank, uh, thank you both for having me and for taking this time out. It means a lot. It's the hardest thing to do is to self-promote. And uh, at any one time anyone agrees to take their time out and, you know, listen to me blab for an hour. Uh, first, I apologize. And second, I'm thankful. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, where you can find this podcast along with our sister podcast, Battle of the Atom, Chris's on Infinite Earths, and Bat Chat with Matt and Will, co-hosted by Matt Lazowitz and our bud Will Nevin. Uh, P.S. Matt and Will, sorry I made you read White Knight again. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Audible, and at ComicsXF.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a free comic in the mail for my collection. A $2 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. A $3 donation gets you access to our new bonus podcast, Our Son Pete, a deep dive into the appearances of British mutant super spy Pete Wisdom, and a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Kat Purcell from ComicsXF, Liz Large from ComicsXF, Will Nevin from ComicsXF, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. The Loyalist Content Consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember, the Forceworks character Century was apparently part of Combo Man. W-N-Q-A. W-N-Q-A.